0: John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loves them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, are you going to wash my feet?' Jesus replied, "'You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand.' "'No,' said Peter, "'you shall never wash my feet.' Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, Not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothing and returned to his place. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who has sent me.
1: Thank you very much, Leah, for reading for us there. As we... Begin, let me pray. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do speak to us. We pray this morning that you would revive our spirit and heart this morning through your word. Amen. When was the last time that you ordered something online? It used to be the case, I remember it in my lifetime, that you'd just walk into a store, you'd look at an object before you bought it. But nowadays, sped up by the current pandemic, we're buying things online a whole lot more, aren't we? The thing with online shopping, though, is how do you know what you're buying? How do you know that you've ordered the right thing? I mean, you could squint at the little image in the top corner. You could decipher the description in the details. You could roll your way through the reviews. But no matter how many times you check, you still end up with the fun-sized carton of orange juice. Or the dining table that's been made for a doll's house. Or the plastic flowers instead of the real deal? Is Christianity the same? Or the question here it is: how do we know what God is like? Is God like an online order where we don't know what's coming until we get the knock at the door? I mean, we can read our Bibles, but is that like reading a product description? Could the information be wrong? How do we know... What God is like. Well the disciples here in John chapter 13. They've spent three years with Jesus. And that's all about to come to an end. In less than 24 hours time. Jesus is going to be betrayed. He's going to be tried by Pilate. And he's going to be executed. He's going to die a death. That only the lowest of the low. Could face. And so this here. Marks the end of Jesus' ministry. These are the last words of Jesus to his disciples in this section. So what is he going to say? What does he think they need to know? We see John 13, it teaches us what God is like, and it shows us how we can know that. So what does it teach us? Well, we're coming to John pretty fresh this morning. As Sam said, we've been in Job the last few weeks. We did look at the opening chapters over Christmas, but that feels like months ago, doesn't it? And now we're in John again, just for this week. But fortunately for us, John 13 gives us a reminder. It's kind of like a previously on that you get on TV, previously on John. The big thing, though, is it reminds us that Jesus is soon going to be leaving. Just notice how John draws our attention to that. Have a look at John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John's gospel is looking forward to the hour. You could say it's been counting down to the moment when Jesus would take away the sins of the world. That's what we expect in this series finale. The three years that he'd spent walking and talking with his disciples was about to end as Jesus is going to be lifted up on a criminal's cross to die an agonising death. And as the Feast of Passover approaches, that's a festival uh, remembering God's rescue of his people from Egypt, John wants us to remember that Jesus has come to perform that in a bigger and better way. And John really wants us to see that Jesus knows all of that. Did you see that? Verse 1 again. Jesus knew that the hour had come. See, Jesus knows it's time. Jesus' death, it looms large in this passage. And so everything's in place. Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Judas, the one uh, whose actions are going to lead to Jesus' death, is primed and ready to betray him. The hour is coming. And verse 3, if we still haven't got it, John wants us to see that Jesus is in control of the whole thing. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. See, Jesus knows all of this. There's no mistake, there's no accident about to happen. Jesus has it all under control. As verse 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. What do you expect to come next? Just take your finger and put it over verse 4. What do you expect to come next? I'm going to read verse 3 and fill in the gap in your head. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he stopped Judas in his tracks. He wrote a message in the sky for all to see. He shone like a bright light and made everyone bow down before him. Now take your finger off, verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. It's shocking, isn't it? What do you expect Jesus to do with all of God's power at his fingertips? What does he decide is the the best thing for his disciples to see right here, right now, before he's betrayed? He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. See, Jesus shows God to his disciples. He is the God who serves now, if we're not shocked by that, we probably missed something. See, the one who had all things under his power and had come from God and was returning to God stoops down, puts a towel around his waist in verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. See, at this pivotal moment in his earthly life, As the hour is approaching, Jesus chooses to reveal something about God to his disciples. And the very thing he chooses to do is to serve. Jesus showed God to the disciples. He's the God who serves. Now, foot washing, it's not something that is part of our daily lives, is it? Since the invention of socks, it's not really been that necessary. But for people in Jesus' day... Foot washing was as necessary and regular a chore as brushing your teeth. As people walked most places on the dusty and dirty floors, the same floors the animals would have used, they'd need to regularly clean their feet for hygiene and for the smell. In fact, it was a task that was so menial that only the lowest of the lowest of slaves would do it. It was the one thing that no one wanted to do. It was so lowly that Jewish people at the time wouldn't even make their Jewish slaves do it. It was a job for non Jews. Yet the one who set the stars in the sky took his disciples' feet in those very hands and scrubbed every bit of dirt and muck and sweat from between their toes. Jesus shows God to the disciples He's the God who serves. See, the one with all power at his fingertips chooses, at this pivotal moment, to show these disciples what God is like. And how does he do that? Well, by taking on the role of a servant. What do you make of that? Perhaps this morning you need to consider this passage again. Perhaps we've grown numb to it. See, throughout his gospel, John is making the point, Jesus shows God and what does Jesus choose to show about God in his final hours was that he serves if you were writing the product description for God would you pick that is that what you would have shown if you were given the choice you see that's what Jesus thinks is most important Jesus shows God to his disciples he is the God who serves but hang on a minute Our question this morning is how can we know what God is like? And there's a step missing. See, we're not there in that room. We haven't seen this event for ourselves. Could this still be like the online order where the description is wrong? I mean, that's how the well-meaning husband ends up buying plastic flowers for his wife, isn't it? If the disciples understood what Jesus was doing... Perhaps there'd be a chance. But did you see the twist in the story? The disciples don't get it. The disciples, they don't understand what's going on. But they will. If you're taking notes, this is our second point to see. Jesus shows God to the disciples through the cross. Now, as Jesus carries his basin around the 12, you can just imagine the scene. You could cut the silence with a knife. The disciples are gobsmacked, their jaws are on the floor, silence has filled the room. That is, until Jesus gets to Peter. Now, Peter is someone who speaks before he thinks. Whatever's at the front of Peter's mind, it just falls straight out of his mouth. Verse 6 He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Actually, that isn't really a question. This is more, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? See, Peter's seen a lot of Jesus over the years, and by using his full name here, John is reminding us of how Peter first met Jesus. Right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, as his brother Andrew bounded up to him and said, Simon Peter, we've found the Messiah. And this is the same Simon Peter who saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish, which caused him to say this. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. But now, this same Messiah, this same Holy One of God, is down on his hands and his knees about to wash Peter's feet. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You see, Peter doesn't get Jesus. He doesn't understand what Jesus is doing. I mean, can you blame him? But hang on a second. If Peter doesn't know what God is like, if Peter doesn't understand what, God, what Jesus is doing here, well, what hope is there for us this morning to know what God is like? Remember, that's our big question. Well, fortunately for us, Jesus expects that. Have a look at verse 7. Jesus replied, You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Hang on a minute, Jesus. You're just washing Peter's feet, or at least you're trying to. I mean, the disciples, they can understand what's going on here. It's a plain, simple washing of the feet. Can't get more complex than that, can it? But Jesus seems to think that foot washing is not all that's going on here. In fact, Peter will not understand what Jesus is doing until later on. In fact, it's going to take Peter a few more chapters to really grasp what's going on here. The meaning is going to become clear to him in the future. See, Jesus shows God to his disciples through the cross. But Peter opens his mouth again, verse 8. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Well, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. There's more going on here, Peter, than foot washing. So much so that Jesus can say that without washing, there's no connection to him. So Peter once again blurts out his thinking. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. If washing is what connects us to Jesus, then plunge me straight into that basin, every single part of me. I mean, he might be a loose cannon, but he's understandable, right? Verse 10 Jesus answered. Those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Now in my studies on this passage this week, those couple of verses have caused me the most confusion. What is Jesus saying here? Well, just imagine with me for a moment. That you have a day trip to the seaside, to the southeast of England. Maybe that's a nice thought for you to have. Perhaps that's something you'll be able to do soon. But after a lovely day there, you get up to leave. But you quickly learn the lesson that everyone who visits the beach learns sand gets everywhere. On a real beach, at least. Even if you've just taken a walk, sand gets everywhere. To quote a a 90s song, you feel it in your fingers, you feel it in your toes. The only way that you can get rid of that sand and take this advice from a born and bred seaside man is to take a bath. That's the only way that you can get yourself clean of the sand. But once that's done, you don't need to have another one. Well, that's all good for dealing with sand, but what does Jesus mean here Well, over the years, people have suggested a number of things. Perhaps this is talking about baptism. When someone is baptised, you could say they're spiritually clean. The problem here is that John doesn't record any baptisms of these guys. So that's probably not likely. Perhaps then, Jesus is talking about the cross. We've said that's going to happen very shortly. Perhaps that's what Jesus is referring to here. But that doesn't make full sense of what Jesus says here. He says, you are clean, not you will be clean. Now, I think we can try and be a little bit more precise here. What is Jesus saying? Well, it turns out that Jesus has used this language of being cleaned before. And he's going to use it again when he goes, as we go forward. Just flick forward in your Bibles uh, to John chapter 15, verse 3. I think you've got it on the screen as well. Great. Jesus says this to the very same people as part of the very same meal. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying that the thing that cleans a person is his word. He said similar before in John chapter 5. I think that's on the screen as well. Jesus said this, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. You see, it's those who have accepted and believed the word of Jesus that are clean. Those who have heard and believed his word that move from death to life. That's what's going on here. That is the bath. And as Judas walks out of the room shortly, it's going to show that he's not clean. It's going to show that he's not believed Jesus' words. Even though he's had his feet washed by Jesus here, he's still going to take that clean heel and he's going to turn it and walk out the door. But these disciples, they have believed Jesus' word and that has cleaned them. They don't need to hop back into the bath again. Instead, Jesus says it's just a case of having their feet washed, of removing the day-to-day grub, or in this case, coming back to those words that they believed in and continuing in those words, or as John 15 will put it, abiding in Jesus. And those words, they are connected to the cross. See, Jesus has already connected them for us, It's only through the cross that Peter and the disciples will understand what Jesus is doing here. It's only at the cross that what Jesus has said in those words will be shown to be true. It's only at the cross that God will be shown supremely. It's only as Jesus is glorified through the cross that the disciples will understand Jesus' words. Those words that clean those who believe them. So what do you... Think of those words? What do you think of Jesus' words? Perhaps you're here this morning or you're tuning into the live stream and you're still figuring out who Jesus is. Perhaps you think God is too high, He's too distant to know. Well, John 13 shows us it's the complete opposite Jesus is too low and too close for these disciples. He's far too close for Peter's comfort, isn't he? See, Jesus wants you to listen to his words. So why not pick up a copy of John's Gospel and read it for yourself? In fact, if you would like a copy of John's Gospel, let Sam or me know and we will get one to you. And if you do believe Jesus' words, well, you're going to show it. See, believing in what Jesus says is how we are cleaned. We've seen that. But to leave it there as a one-off thing, well, it's still to have dirty feet. We need to come back daily. If we understand what Jesus is actually saying here, we will want to come back daily. We'll want to hear those words of eternal life. We'll want to have our feet washed. Perhaps our lack of doing so shows that we're actually a bit like Peter. And we haven't got Jesus right And with that, Jesus returns to his place. Verse 12. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. Now here in John 13, we get the gospel in miniature. We've had Jesus coming down. We've had him serving his disciples. And now, verse 12, we have Jesus returning to his place. So as we hear that phrase, we're probably meant to think about Jesus returning to his father. I mean, John started us there, didn't he? But John wants us to clock. He wants us to think that if someone can be made clean by Jesus' words, and Jesus is returning to the father, well, how are those words going to continue? Or to put it as I have through this sermon, how can we know what God is like? Now, if we had worked our way through John's gospel, that is where John chapter 12 would have left us. Jesus has just said that his words are eternal life. But how will anyone hear those words if Jesus is gone? How would we hear those words? Well, it's a good job our passage isn't done yet, isn't it? See, those disciples, they are to continue what Jesus has been doing. They're to follow Jesus' example. There's our third and final point for this morning. The disciples show God to us. Let me read verses 12 to 17 again. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, and nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. See, the point there is plain and simple, isn't it? A servant is not greater than his master. It's true. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. That's true. And just notice there how Jesus is tying serving and speaking together, servant and messenger. Because of who Jesus is, the disciples should be following his example. They should be serving one another just as he has served them. Yet Jesus hasn't finished what he's saying here. It's a shame really that the Bible publisher puts a break in here. Instead we should be continuing what Jesus says here because it fits perfectly. Look at verse 18. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. We've already seen that Jesus knows he's going to be betrayed. As I've said, Jesus' death it's looming large in this passage and it's still to come. One of the disciples will shortly leave and go into the night and betray him, kicking off the events that are going to lead to his death in under 24 hours. As I've said, Jesus knows this already. And again, he says it. But notice why. Just have a look at the verse with me. As I read verses 19 and 20, spot the reason why Jesus says this. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. It's for the disciples, isn't it? That's why Jesus is saying this. When it does happen, you will believe I am who I am. We've seen that the disciples will only understand the foot washing through the cross. And Jesus again alludes to that here. Now, if this passage was simply talking about foot washing, if it was simply about doing nice things for one another, well, these verses here wouldn't make much sense. But since we've started to see that this is connected to Jesus' words and how they're going to go forwards, I think we can make more sense of them. As the events that take Jesus to his death are now in play, Jesus gives the disciples another heads up. It's a pointer that helps them to see who he really is. For the disciples to show God to us, well, they need to really understand who Jesus is. Now, many of you know that over the lockdown, Izzy and I had another daughter. And one of the sad things about this current situation is that many of you haven't actually physically met her yet. But I can tell you about her. She has brown hair like her mum. She has blue eyes like her nan. She smiles at anything that moves. She has a tooth coming through surprisingly early. But because I know her, I can tell you about her. Jesus is showing his disciples what he is like so that they can tell us about him. So what more does he tell them here? Well, to predict the future is something that biblically only God alone can do. It's something that, as you read through the Bible, only God does. Prophets in the Bible, they only know the future because God tells them. God alone is the one who knows what's going to happen. And in fact, books like Isaiah, they rest their whole case on the fact that God alone is able to say what is going to take place in the future. It's that that proves that God is God amongst the idols. And here in John 13, verse 19, Jesus is saying the same thing. He's actually saying it in exactly the same way that Isaiah does. He's making the same point. He's saying that as these men see what's about to happen, they will understand that he is God. As their lives go on a roller coaster over the next few days, they're to realize that Jesus really does show God to them. And as the disciples, they understand that, well, they'll be able to tell people about him. That's the implication there at the end of verse 20. As the disciples follow Jesus' example, that will involve sharing Jesus' words. As they follow Jesus' example, they'll be serving others by continuing Jesus' work. They'll be allowing the cleaning work of Jesus to continue as people come and believe in his words. They'll enable the foot washing of regularly returning to those words too. And those words of life from Jesus, they're going to continue to go out through the disciples, through the men in that very room. And notice the logic of verse 20. Let me read that again. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts the one I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. See, as people accept the disciples, well, they'll be accepting Jesus. And as people accept Jesus, they accept the one who sent him. And so however people respond to the disciples is how they respond to God. Do you see the link? And that's where we come in. That's where we appear in this passage. That whoever, there in verse 20 Well, that includes us. See, whenever John uses that word, he turns, he breaks the fourth wall. He turns from the page and he looks us straight in the face. The disciples show God to us. So how you respond to the disciples' words is how you respond to God. Those words that the disciples wrote down for us here. As we hear those words recorded for us by the disciples, we hear the words of Jesus. The disciples show God to us. Well, let's return to the question we asked at the very start. How do we know what God is like? Is it like an online order, waiting till it arrives at your doorstep to make sure? On the eve of Jesus' departure, As Jesus knows, he has all things under his power. He chooses in that very moment to demonstrate what God is like to his disciples. He chooses to serve them. Jesus showed God to his disciples, the God who serves. And though they don't understand it here, they will understand it in the next few hours. And so they can take on Jesus' example and continue his work to the world as they share those words, the words that make people clean. And so... We can read their words, the words of the one who sent them, the words of Jesus through these disciples. And we too can know what God is like. You see, Christianity, it's not like an online order. We don't have to try and decipher the description. We don't have to squint at any small images. We don't have to roll through the reviews. We can know what God is like because Jesus showed God to the disciples. Ultimately, Jesus showed God to the disciples through the cross. And those disciples, they show God to us. What are you going to do with those words? Let me pray. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Thank you, Father, that Jesus showed God to his disciples. Thank you that as he demonstrated the God who serves, the disciples could understand more of who you are. And thank you that those disciples, they took that message of Jesus and they proclaimed it to the whole world, even to us in Hemel Hempstead. Father, help us to listen to that proclamation of peace, those good tidings, that message of salvation, we pray. Amen.